The past couple of weeks, we've been spending time talking about Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, It seemed right to discuss in a little more detail with you the difficulty of reading an epistle, since it's like listening into one side of a conversation, and then to explain some of the problems in Corinth and Paul's answers to them. But I did warn you uh, that all of this, and chapter 15 in particular, was leading up to a bit of a confessional of how um, I became the person standing here before you. So here we are. I was not raised uh, in a home where becoming a priest would have been uh, foreseen or expected. We were raised what I call Christian in a bag, right? Like good people went to heaven, bad people went to hell, and we were good people, so no worries, right? Uh, I joke with folks that my great teenage rebellion was becoming obsessed with church, which greatly alarmed my parents, who had thought church attendance to be unnecessary, if not a little bit fanatical. As I reflect on it, My great teenage rebellion was actually becoming obsessed with the hard questions of existence. What was the nature of God? What was the meaning of life? And perhaps most urgently, what was the meaning of death? The urgency to find those hard, to find the answers to those hard questions came from my experiences of death, who had come too close, too often for me to ignore. I lost my best friend in a car accident at the age of 13. And then from the age of 17 onward, death kept this regular schedule of visiting and escorting from my life significant people, family and friends, all within the ages of about 25 to 60, some after a year of illness, some with the swiftness of that last trumpet, but all changed instantly to a state beyond my reach. They were too young, there were too many, it happened too often, and it felt like a curse. But then I knew that this curse was actually upon all of us, right? So where does someone go when haunted by the questions of life and death? Church is still the only good answer I've come across, actually, the only space devoted particularly to that search. I stumbled into an evangelical church that promised a get-out-of-hell-free card if I just said something called the sinner's prayer, right? But they also offered me the Bible as the, you know, indisputable, irrefutable, indestructible word of God, (laughs) And I took them seriously, uh, to their great surprise, I think, and I committed to study it. Within those pages, I found all sorts of conflicting ideas and contradictions, not the least of which concerned death. The Psalms said that the dead don't praise God. Ecclesiastes told me to eat and drink and make the most of my life because that was the best humans could do in an unjust world where nothing happened afterward. The Gospel of Mark ended with an empty tomb and women terrified into silence. 
Revelation seemed to gather all those strands of belief from the Old and New Testaments and weave them into poetry, a psychedelic kind of poetry, but poetry nonetheless. The last vision in the last book of the Bible was not one that the evangelical church provided me. They had talked a lot about disembodied souls going to an eternity of harp-strumming and lip-smacking righteousness as the damned souls burnt forever below in some hellscape once known as earth. But John the Revelator spoke of heaven coming to earth and of all creation being made new. And then there was Paul, who said that Christ was the first fruits of this promise, that we were, in fact, under a curse that God wanted to undo. Paul, who said that the promise had started to break through to us already, and that everything that we called forgiveness and justice and reconciliation and joy are glimpses of that resurrection. Paul claimed this already, but not yet, and that we were agents in between, manifesting this kingdom that was already coming to earth. Ironically, it was the love of strict scripture that would eventually lead me away from evangelicalism, the place that gave me a love for it. I came to the Episcopal Church eventually, and I didn't find pie in the sky when you die, but people who seemed convinced that they were the ones pointing to a reality beyond what we knew, people who served others because they wanted to learn to see Christ in all people, people who could discuss the hard questions with me without needing to answer them. People who open their hearts in spite of pain and poverty and rivalry, in short, in spite of the reality of death. Religion has been derided as mere escapism, as an opiate of the masses, something to just pacify you, to get you through life, to numb the pain. But what I found was the opposite. In attempting to answer these lofty questions, I was drawn more deeply into a love for the world that was around me. No small feat for someone who lived mostly in her head until then. Maybe I should have expected this, though. Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians with the resurrection of the dead this 15th chapter, this glorious sort of exclamation point, which was actually the whole lens through which to read not just this letter, but the lens through which he believed we should be viewing life. Maybe you'd think that meditation on the resurrection would end for him with some kind of direction to to not worry about the world because it's all going to be raised anyway. But that's not where Paul goes. You've got the last sentence before you today. He says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work 
of the Lord. Because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Keep at it, he says. Don't run away. Eyes on the world around you. The work you are doing is a part of, is in tandem with the resurrection of the dead. The labor of love is never one that is done in vain. That is the word of the Lord that came alive to me those many years ago. And the word I would like to try to make alive to you every week. Amen.